I think it's an inevitability. I know. Is it going to be in 2035? Is it going to be in 2045? Or is it going to be in 2025? Hello, welcome in. It's a Monday edition of Always College Football. Today is Monday, February 5th. We are six days away from the Super Bowl. We're very excited about that. But we here on Always College Football are going to focus on college football. And we had some news, a little bit of Friday news dump. Some of you might have missed it. I'm sure you didn't if you're as into the sport as we are. When you see Big Ten and SEC, you see the words alliance. You see the words partnership. You see words like that, that's going to move the needle. I spent the whole weekend reading up on this, drawing conclusions from it. What does it mean for the future? What does it mean for the present? How will this affect the college football playoff? How will this affect scheduling alliances? I thought about this from every possible angle over the last 72 hours, so we're going to help break it down today. There's a lot of thoughts on this too. Uh, Reasons why you should be excited. Reasons why you should be concerned. Reasons why if you're on the outside looking in, I'd be really concerned. Reasons why if you are in the college football playoff and you're hoping to have a seat at the table in the future, why this might not be good for you, but you're probably going to be benefited by having quality leadership at the top of the sport. Because right now the NCAA has no power and the NCAA has done hardly anything in getting us where we need to go. So the SEC and the Big Ten have said, you know what? Take a seat. We're going to steer this thing where we need it to go because we know what's in the best interest of college football in the long term. You might not like that, but I really think that there are positives and negatives that could come from this partnership between the Big Ten and the SEC. So we will break it all down for you right here on a Monday edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me as always, Mark Kubiak, Jack Foster, and Jake Garcia. We appreciate all of you coming to us where you're coming to us from, whether that's from the podcast platforms or if you're here with us on the ESPN YouTube channel, please continue to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast or to the ESPN College Football YouTube channel as well. So without much further ado, let's dive in. The SEC and the Big Ten, a landmark partnership that has been forged just the last couple days. What does it mean for the sport moving forward? I must be honest, uh, having followed college football and been in this line of work for a decade, I always envisioned there being some semblance of collaboration. I think we all did. Right, like we we understand the power brokers in the sport are going to have to at some point work together, but I did I will admit I, I just found it very hard to believe that the SEC and the Big Ten would come together in a way that they've come together in the last couple weeks. It's borderline mind blowing. I mean, it feels like two universal truths on either side of the college football world that hate each other. At least that's the That's the impression that a lot of us had gotten, and it's been evident over the course of many years. It's not like ever since just COVID with how Kevin Warren handled COVID and how the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, how they collaborated to make sure that college football happened, or how after Greg Sankey and the SEC added Texas and Oklahoma, then the alliance was born, right? I mean, this feels very concrete. I mean, this feels like there's a real real opportunity for the sport to forge forward in a way that's going to create more opportunities down the road. And it's it's probably a little uncomfortable for a lot of reasons, but there's a million different angles that we want to hit as it relates 
to what's going on right now between the Big Ten and the SEC. I mean, these are the kings of the sport. Uh, No denying that. I don't think anyone will push back, even though you have the ACC contingent that's loud and the Big 12 contingent that feels as though they are equal. They are very, very good leagues. This is no disrespect to any, but let's be real. Where the SEC and the Big 10 go and where they lead the sport, that's where we're going to end up. It's just they have so much power. And they have so much size, and they have so such a such a significant reach in the sport. Uh, but a historic cooperative movement that came together here in the last couple weeks to think too historically. I think back to Mike Slive in the SEC or Jim Delaney in the Big Ten, who very much respected one another, but their financial interests. And their legislative interests were exclusively to protect the member member institutions that were under the SEC for Slive and the Big Ten for Delaney. So it's very different to see now Tony Petiti, the commissioner of the Big Ten, and the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, that they've actually been working together. Uh, And in a time, too, when it's absolutely necessary. Uh, There's been a lot of movement. There's been a lot of changes. The Oklahoma Sooners and the Texas Longhorns will join the SEC. Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA will join the Big Ten here in just a couple months. But I think what's kind of interesting is that you look at both commissioners, both Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey, they both have New York roots. These guys are, are leading rival businesses, but businesses that must ultimately work together for the greater good. Uh, and I think when you look at just how we got here to this point, it's it's pretty interesting. And it's it's pretty obvious why this has accelerated here in at least the last couple weeks. Now, in Tony Petiti's first couple weeks on the job, he actually went to Birmingham to visit with Greg Sankey to begin a dialogue that kind of reached this point with last week's announcement. Hey, man, we got to do this and we got to do this together. But here's how we got here in the immediate. A month ago, Leaders of the college football playoff gathered together in Houston, just like they always do, by the way. That's not uh, uncommon. That's not unusual. They always meet before the national championship, expecting to adopt a change uh, in the format of the expanded 12-team playoff. The problem is they actually left the meeting again for like the 10th time in like the last handful of years. They actually left the meeting without a decision. Now, the reason why they couldn't reach a decision in years past is because the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Big 12, the Alliance, all these other things, they were kind of blocking the expanded format into the 12-team era. Remember, it was several. I actually believe it was the Big 12 and the SEC that were spearheading the, hey, let's get to 12, let's get to 12, let's get to 12. And the ACC said, no, 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 we're not doing it. Of course, as a result, the ACC was left out of last year's playoff, but that is a conversation for a different day. But when you look at what happened in Houston, they were trying to figure out, all right, is it going to be six automatic qualifiers plus six at-large teams? Or are they going to move to a five at five automatic qualifiers and a seven at-large team model? This is the 12-team playoff next year, right? I mean, how hard is that to figure out? How can you still dig in and claim that there's a power five? There's not. With all due respect to the two remaining teams of the Pac-12, that's not a Power 5 entity. And I, like I said, I feel awful with what's happened with Oregon State and with Washington State. They're great. They're awesome. They're great universities, great traditions, and I hope they land on their feet wherever they ultimately land. But should the winner of that game be guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff? Should a winner 
a la Liberty last year? Should they be guaranteed a spot in the college football playoff? Should SMU, who finishes the runner-up to Liberty, granted SMU was in the American last year, they'll be in the ACC moving forward, but should they be in a 12-team playoff model? I don't, I'm not to say yes, I'm not to say no. All I'm saying is that there, at the moment, are four Power 5 leagues. So to have a six automatic qualifier format with six at large, to me, feels ridiculous. No disrespect to the G5. As you guys know that have listened to this show, tremendous amount of respect for that those schools, tremendous amount of respect for those leagues. But I look at just how the G5 has changed in the transfer portal era, in the NIL era. Those teams are less competitive than they once were. Why? Because some of their best players are jumping in the portal after a big year and they're winding up at a Power 5 school. So I don't think we need at this point to accommodate two conference champions from the G5 in the 12-team format. Personal opinion. If you disagree, totally good with that. If you're a fan of the G5, you're a fan of a school in the G5, it's no disrespect. I just feel like the gap has widened in the last couple years, so to guarantee two automatic qualifying spots feels over the top. I'm fully in favor of 5 plus 7 model, but when they met in Houston, they couldn't come to that. They couldn't figure out, hey, yeah, you know, this is something we need to do, and to move anything right now has to be unanimous. And the decision corresponding with the Pac-12's realignment shakeup and the decreasing by one number of automatic qualifier by adding one at large, that's what kind of, I think, escalated how quickly this was going to go down. And why now? All right, why today? Well, the landscape, according to those that are in it, is a complete mess. I mean, college football right now, look, I love it. You love it. If you're watching this show, you probably love it like I do. I'm obsessed with the sport, but I'll tell you what I'm really obsessed with, those three and a half hours when your team is playing on Saturday afternoon, or Friday night, or Thursday night, or Tuesday night if you're playing in the MAC or the Sun Belt. I don't care when you kick off. What's great about our sport is the actual game itself. The other days of the year that don't involve college football, they're not great. They're not great at all. What just happened with Jeff Halfley? Jeff Halfley was the head coach of Boston College, decided to leave for a defensive coordinator job in the NFL. Chip Kelly, a long-tenured head coach in college at both Oregon and at UCLA, was a head coach in the NFL as well. He's listening to overtures about becoming an OC, potentially leaving a head coaching job in college football for the NFL. Why? Because the quality of life is better. And because there's rules. There's actual rules in the NFL, so you're not working 365 days a year having to re-recruit your own roster. So, for instance, Chip Kelly's in L.A. Let's say he got the job with the Los Angeles Chargers, not Jim Harbaugh. He wouldn't have to re-recruit Justin Herbert to rejoin his roster next year because Justin Herbert was unhappy with his current contract. Yeah, occasionally guys will hold out, but they're few and far between. Most teams are having to renegotiate on a daily basis to make sure that their players are completely invested. So right now, the calendar's a mess, the portal's a mess, the NIL's a mess, tampering's a mess, inducements with NIL and recruiting are a mess. It's all a mess, and it's concerning. Uh, concerning enough for Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti to say, you know what, we're going to lead from the front. As opposed to not just falling in line, we're going to lead from the front. But I also think at the end of the day, this is really about the college football playoff. I mean, the college football playoff format is at the center of a debate that never stops. The number of overall participants, 
we're currently, as of last year, we're at four. Next year, we're moving to 12. I don't think we're done. I, I think we could get to 16. I'm not sure where we'll finish. We might end up at 32 before the day's over. I have no idea. But I feel like 12 is definitely a placeholder for the next couple years. We know that. But who's to say in 2026 that we're not going to move to a 16-team format or a 24-team format or whatever format we feel like is best to crown a champion? I also think, too, with where we're at, the College Football Board of Managers, yeah, the expansion they've granted... And the automatic qualifier debate, which has been a hot topic of debate from the very beginning, I don't think the SEC and the Big Ten are going to need so quick to sign off on a playoff involving automatic qualifiers from leagues that they don't view as equal. For instance, is the path to the playoff by winning a conference championship in the SEC, is that equal to winning a conference championship in, say, the Sun Belt or the American. If the reward for winning the American is the same as the reward for winning the SEC, doesn't that feel a little bit backwards, especially as that gap is continuing to widen? I think that's the way Tony Petiti views it. I think that's the way Greg Sankey views it. And I think it's only a matter of time that we got to this point. You think about what the SEC and the Big Ten represent. Okay, what they represent. We're talking about 34 out of 134 schools. All right, 18 in the Big Ten, 16 in the SEC, starting at the beginning of the 2024 calendar year. Calendar year meaning like July, whenever the sports start, right? So the next educational year, they will accommodate 34 out of 134. Out of those 34 schools, 27 different states are represented. And... In college athletics, the real profit-turning sport, I mean, by a mile. Men's college basketball does really well. Women's college basketball has grown by leaps and bounds. Softball, in some cases, is very, very profitable. Baseball has grown tremendously in recent years. But football is ultimately what drives most of the revenue. I don't think I'm telling anybody anybody that, that that's watching this show. You probably understand that. You probably thought that, or at least if you've, you've assumed that for quite some time. Even the biggest basketball schools in the country, Kansas, Duke, football is actually more profitable, which is pretty shocking, I think, probably for many. Well, you look at football. Well, those 34 teams that make up the SEC and the Big Ten – They've won three times as many AP national championships than any other league combined. And from a revenue perspective, schools in the Big Ten and the SEC will soon earn at least $25 million more per year than the next best conference media rights deal. So in the past, it was very, very equal. Well, at least somewhat more equal than it is going to be in the future. And it doesn't appear like at this point, anything's going to go back either. It almost feels like things are moving forward. Now, a lot of people have kind of rolled their eyes at this, saying, well, here we go again. We've seen this before, haven't we? Didn't we see this before back in 2021 when the alliance was announced between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12? Didn't we see this just a couple years ago? And people have laughed and said, well, here we go again, Alliance 2.0. Yeah, well, not really. <laughs> because I really believe that there's a genuine collaboration that's trying to be created here. 
And I also think the alliance was a complete joke. It was a PR nightmare. <laughs> and it now is pretty much the punchline of any joke as it relates to cooperation uh, at the top of some of these leaks. Now, does this move indicate that the SEC and the Big Ten are preparing to move away? Because that's the next layer. That's the, and if you read all about the collaboration, and I, I encourage all of you to study up on it, because it, it really is very interesting. Um, and, and a lot of great pieces were written by, on this. Dennis Dodd had a great piece. Ross Dellinger had a great piece. The Athletic had a great piece with Emerson and Nicole Auerbach. They had, a, I mean, so many people have really weighed in on this. I thought it was very thoughtful. I loved reading the different perspectives, and I encourage all of you guys to take some time to kind of dive into it just a little bit, but I'll just tell you my thoughts on it. I think it is an inevitability that the SEC and the Big Ten ultimately move away. Move away and create their own pseudo-NFL. I think it's an inevitability. I know, is it going to be in 2035? Is it going to be in 2045? Or is it going to be in 2025? Or 2026? Or 2027? That's the big question. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's also a matter of how many. Because right now there's 34. And how many more are going to be brought alongside the SEC and the Big Ten in an effort to create a bigger faction of dominant programs or the programs that are most financially competitive? Now, if you listen to both commissioners' conversations about this, they both strongly rebuke any notion that this advisory board is moving or accelerating toward their inevitable break apart from the rest of the college sports governing body. I, I believe them because I don't think this is an indicator of what's coming. I think what's coming is inevitable, but I don't think this advisory board is in an effort to further the process. I really don't believe that. But I do think that both the Big Ten and the SEC remain really prominent members in the NCAA, both in governance and national competition. Uh, but I think they're not necessarily going to follow the same rules that maybe some of their colleagues might follow. And when you think about the two most powerful conferences on the planet saying, hey, everybody step aside, we're going to figure this out, we're going to do what's best, for the future of college athletics, you might sit there as a member of the ACC or you might sit there as a member of the Big 12 and say, man, I don't know, if, I don't know how I feel about that. And I, and I get that, believe me, because you feel a little bit right now like you're on the outside looking in. But who is better equipped to make decisions on behalf of what's best for the sport than people who are actually in the sport? The NCAA is in the business of putting on tournaments. Basketball tournaments, softball tournaments, you know, baseball tournaments. They're great at it too, by the way. They're terrific at it. They're great at collecting revenue and then redistributing revenue. Like they're great at some things. They're not great at college football and haven't been for quite some time. So they probably need to just stay away. Stay away and allow the Big Ten and the SEC to kind of drive where this show is going to go. But here's the thing that is a little bit concerning. If you are on the outside, okay, right now, the SEC and the Big Ten have all the power. They really do. They have all the power and they have all the leverage in the world to take their 34 teams and to stage their own national championship. 
And if you don't believe me, look at the negotiation, negotiating power that we've seen in the Big Ten and the SEC in the last couple of years. Now, the SEC was first to market, and that wasn't necessarily the best timing. I mean, life was about timing. But at that time, they decided to sign an exclusive deal with ABC and ESPN to broadcast all of their games. The Big Ten went a couple years later, and they were able to kind of survey where the world's going a little bit better. They were able to involve NBC. They were able to involve CBS. And they were also able to get Fox going the same way that they had Fox going already at that point. So they already have all the power from a negotiation standpoint. They already have all the leverage from a negotiation standpoint. And if you don't believe me, just look at the negotiations that have gone on the last couple of years. But here's the scary thing, okay? If they decide to break away, they decide to break away and to start their own championship, decide to start their own little league, well, they could flex at any moment. And they could easily carve out a piece of media rights just to share with their own athletes. They could decide, and I saw this, this is according to Dennis Dodd. I thought there were four really important points, and these are all things that I, I also aligned with. They could decide, just, hey, we're going to offer 100 scholarships as opposed to 85. Right now, we offer 85. We're going to go to 100. We're playing more games. We might have more, you know, more games down the road. We need more players. So we're going to take 100 guys instead of 85. So that means that there are 3,400 players that are playing in the SEC and the Big Ten as opposed to the number that it currently is, 85 times 34, and I can't do that off the top of my head. I can do 100 times 34. That I can do for sure. Um, they also, too, if they decide to get into a collective bargaining agreement and they start to collectively bargain and they want to bring their players and they want to make their players uh, actual employees and all these things, they can pay their players directly. And if they decide to just host their own playoff, what's going to be more valuable? If they just say, hey, you know what? We're not playing in the college football playoff. We're going to start our own playoff and call it the SEC Big Ten Showdown or the Big Ten SEC Showdown or whatever the heck they decide to call it. What's more valuable? A game involving Ohio State against Georgia or a game that's involving a member of the ACC against a member of the Big 12, against a member of the Pac-12, or against the Mountain West or whatever it is? The game involving Ohio State and Georgia is probably going to be more valuable. So it's a scary time to be on the outside looking in. And there are a lot of questions I know that you guys probably have, and we will continue to kind of talk about this and we'll continue to discuss it. We came up with a few questions as well. So let's take a quick break. Let's come back with Mark and Jack asking some questions that we came up with about how this might impact the rest of the landscape of the college world. All right, a couple questions now that we came up with on our team that you might have. And if you have more, hit us up, always CFB on Instagram and Twitter. Submit those there. We'll answer them here on either Thursday's show or next week's show, depending on what information comes out between now and then. So, Coops, let's kick it off. All right, this one's going to have to do with expansion. Do you see the Big Ten or the SEC being aggressive in expansion, or do you think because of this partnership they'll, they'll work together to find better fits, geographically speaking? I think, that's, I think that's a fair point, because I think at this point, expansion doesn't feel like a priority for either one of these two pro these two uh, entities, if you will. Big Ten, SEC, they don't need to further expand. They've already cornered the market in many ways. So while there was an arms race there for a little while, after Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC, the Big Ten felt like they needed to retaliate or at least do something. They went out, they get USC, UCLA, and then they go out the following year and get Oregon and Washington 
for a bargain, frankly, uh, relative to what their counterparts were going to make upon entry of into the up- upcoming league. But now at this point, w- what's the point? If they can kind of have their own world and they can keep the money in-house, then why would they need to further expand to potentially dilute the product? Now, how many teams that are left right now in college football really move the needle and would carry enough weight to up the ante? How many teams are worth more than what the SEC and the Big Ten are currently divvying out? You look at, for instance, Washington and Oregon, willing to take a significantly less deal at least in the first couple of years of their admittance into the Big Ten, just to get in. So at this point, how many teams really move the needle? We know Notre Dame does. We'll talk about them here in a second. Uh, we know Clemson probably does, but there is a certain level of redundancy, knowing that South Carolina is already in the footprint for the SEC. Uh, I think Florida State and Miami probably do, but there's a certain level of redundancy, knowing that there's Florida there in the SEC. And then North Carolina, everyone seems to be very interested in North Carolina. Adding the Tar Heels means not just good things for football, but also good things for basketball as well. Uh, a, tr- a massive market there in North Carolina that is unoccupied right now by the SEC and the Big Ten. You think about the Commonwealth of Virginia, Virginia Tech, Virginia. What about Utah? They've had great success on the football field. What about Oklahoma State? Back in 2011, they almost made it to the national championship game, and who knows how things would have fared. Baylor's been really good in the last 10 years. TCU's been to the playoffs. So uh, I think there's, I think right now, this partnership, if I'm on the outside looking in, makes me a little bit uncomfortable because what if they're working together and they're not constantly trying to one up each other, then why would the Big Ten be trying to go after teams along the Atlantic seaboard? Uh, why would the SEC be trying to expand and have a redundancy in an area of the country that they already have, a la Florida, South Carolina, Texas, what have you? So uh, I think it's a it's an uncomfortable spot to be in if you're on the outside looking in, and maybe that pulls back the curtain a little bit with what's going on with Florida State and why they've been so aggressive in trying to get out of their ACC deal so that they can align with the SEC and the Big Ten if that opportunity presents itself, and we. Currently, at the moment, don't know that for certain. So uh, I think there's a lot of question marks uh, about that. But no, these two school, these two teams, these two entities in the Big Ten and the SEC working together it doesn't lead me to believe they're going to be super aggressive and trying to further expand. All right. I just want to follow up on that because I leaving Notre Dame out of it for a second. What is the like? Why would Vanderbilt be grandfathered into a football conference when they've never won anything? Why would Northwestern be grandfathered in to this conference when they've never done anything to prove their football worth? Why not say, okay, we're going to get rid of Northwestern and bring in Florida State for the Big Ten, and we're going to get rid of Vanderbilt and bring in Clemson. I understand the, the back and forth, but like if you're going for the big business model, don't you want to bring in more better programs that have proven football worth? Yeah, I mean, I think that in a perfect world, you take the biggest and the best and those that are committed to the football program or to the athletic department, those that are committed and willing to put a lot of money and resources into improving their product on the field or on the basketball court, what have you, those that are committed to trying to be great, those are the schools that you would want to be under the umbrella of a potential breakaway entity. Now, At the same time, I mean, I think you look at Vanderbilt, 
for instance. Because I think Northwestern has had moments and pockets of success, and they've really invested. They have a brand new stadium coming out. They have tremendous resources as it relates to their football facility and all the other stuff. So I think Northwestern has already proven that they're committed. Uh, Vanderbilt, you know, are there questions about just how much they're willing to invest in their you know, athletic programs? Yeah, there's there's questions about that. But at this point, I, I don't get the sense that they're going to start kicking people out. I mean, there's nothing at this moment that would lead me to believe that they're going to just say, yeah, you know what, Vandy, you're out. In comes Clemson. Uh, I don't see that as something that would be beneficial for them, uh, at least in the near term, because right now the current model isn't broken for the SEC and the Big Ten. Current model is right, working so fine, and the- even though they have equal revenue distribution, uh, and maybe not everybody pulls their own weight, I, I can't imagine at this point they're going to start kicking people out. That's fair. All right, let's move on to the Notre Dame question. So do you see the Irish being forced to join the Big Ten and or the SEC if either one of them wants them? If the Irish want to compete at the highest possible level for the highest possible championship, and you might push back on that and say, well, you know, uh, at the same time, you know, the CFP is working fine. And like we said, at this point, this is according to Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti. Like, we're not coming up with this. This is not our information. This is according to those that are involved in this current marriage between the two. They're saying that they are not in a hurry to abandon the rest of the college football world. So I'm going to believe them when they tell me that. Now, could that change next week? Perhaps. Could the SEC say, forget this, we're not doing this with the Big Ten anymore, we're doing our own thing? Maybe. Could the Big Ten say the same thing? Absolutely. Everyone reserves the right to change and be nimble. I think part of what got us in this problem is that we weren't nimble as a sport, and now we're all of a sudden shredding water when it comes to the transfer portal, NIL, regulations, all these other things. So, yeah, I think being nimble is important and being willing to change is important as well, but I really do. Like I said, I don't know when it's happening, it might be 20 years from now, it might be 30 years from now, it might be 50 years from now. I do think at some point we are going to have a contingent of schools that will pull away. How big is that contingent? I don't know. How many are in that contingent? I don't know. All I know is that I want to be on the inside looking out. And right now, Notre Dame's on the outside looking in, even though they are by far the most desirable of all the schools that are not currently in the SEC and the Big Ten as far as just how much they move the needle and how impactful their presence could be in that playoff that we just discussed. All right, you mentioned Jeff Hathley leaving Boston College for the NFL earlier. Do you think we'll see more of that? Coaches leaving programs not in the Big Ten or the SEC for the NFL? Yeah, I've talked to coaches, gosh, for five or six years, even prior to NIL getting introduced. And prior to the portal becoming a thing that is just so normal now, I mean, the portal was brand new, even in its infancy. But guys were using the portal in different ways back then. Now, since NIL has been introduced, guys are able to leverage the portal against their own school, which has made being a head coach very, very difficult and constantly having to discuss Hey, are you happy with your NIL? Hey, coach, I'm not happy with my NIL. I'm entering the portal unless you give me this. That is going on every day for some of these coaches. So I think a lot of coaches, whether it be position coaches, head coaches, coordinator, 
I've talked to Nick Saban about this seven years ago, eight years ago. He said, I'm really worried about the future of the sport because we're going to lose really, really good coaches to the NFL if we continue down this path. And he is 100% right on how that's all gone down. Now, we didn't anticipate some of the things that have gone on as it relates to the portal and leverage and holdouts and things like that. Sure, tampering, all those things. But I do think that at some point, we are getting to the point where the daily grind of being an NFL coach is really, really undesirable. Now, you're going to say, look at how much money they make. Great. But once you've made $50 million, $100 million, these guys are making $8, $10, $12 million a year. Well, you do it for six, seven years. Cool. I've made my money. I don't longer have to do this for money. I'm going to do it because I do it what I love. And I'm going to be more intrigued by going and calling plays in the NFL, which is really all about XO. Like Jeff Halfley, I don't know what he was making. Boston College is a private school. It's been rumored that it's in the five, $6 million range. It's been there five, six, seven years. Probably put 10, 15, $18 million in the bank. How much do you need to live? I think I'm just going to go and chase quality of life as opposed to chasing the dollar and trying to keep up in a college football world where my school can't compete in the NIL world. So yeah, I think it's a sign of things to come. Guys are going to leave college sooner if the NFL opportunity presents itself. And when guys have made their money, they're going to shut it down. They're going to either retire, they're going to go to the NFL, or they're going to go do something that makes them more fulfilled. Because the daily grind of a college football schedule right now for a head coach and for a coordinator and for even a position coach is almost impossible to do for a very long period of time. All right, let's talk about the 12-team playoff for a second. With this new partnership, do you think that could change the structure as far as automatic bids go? And just you know, in this first couple of years, how much do you think will change with the 12-team playoff with this partnership? Well, I think what's this is what I'm most intrigued by. Because right now, for the playoff to change, it has to be unanimous. And right now, you're not going to get 11 people in a room that are going to vote unanimously on what's in the best interest of college football because you think about who's in that room. Yeah, Greg Sankey, Tony Petiti, they occupy two of the 11 seats. Notre Dame AD, Jack Schwarbrick, he's in charge of one of them. You look at the American, the Big 12, the Pac-12, all these, all these 11 seats are comprised of commissioners and with those commissioners, presidents of the university that is also with the commissioner, they're going to vote in favor of their best interest. And in the best interest of the other nine that will be voting, they're going to want to continue to see automatic qualifiers. Now, who's going to vote against automatic qualifiers? Well, the Big Ten, the SEC, and Notre Dame. They're going to vote against automatic qualifiers. Why? Because Notre Dame's not in a conference. They don't get one. And the Big Ten and the SEC feel like their championship should be worth more and the depth of quality in their league is not conducive to an automatic qualifier environment. So they're going to say, we should have six teams in, our, in the conference, in the playoff from our conference, and Big Ten should have six teams, and we're off and running. That's what I think those two, two Big Ten SEC, I think that's what those two conferences, that's how they'll vote. But the American's still going to vote for automatic qualifiers. The Big 12 is, the ACC is, all these other schools, all these other uh, conferences are going to vote for that. So that's why I think that if they don't get what they want, I could see them starting in 27 saying, hey, you know what? This ain't working. We're going to go and do our own playoff with just the Big Ten and the SEC, and there will be no automatic qualifiers. If you win the league, you get the first overall seed 
on that respective side of the playoffs format. And the same can be said for the other side with the Big Ten. And then you play it out accordingly and the champions play each other or however the playoff all works out. So that's what I would be concerned about because they're not going to be able to get unanimous voting in the next two years. But when it's still a majority rules type of scenario, I could see them saying, yeah, we're not going to get majority, not in this 11, 11 seat room. We're going to go start our own show. And that's when I think things could get real interesting a couple of years down the road. All right, moving on to another business aspect of this. Do you think ESPN and Fox will come together in broadcasting rights and help support each other, kind of like the NFL does? Or will they stay divided and kind of a quest for more money and control? Now, this I really don't know. I mean, I think the more the more networks that you have involved, you would think that that would raise the price. Um, I think it does to an extent, but if a network wants exclusivity, they're going to have to pay a premium for exclusivity. So it might actually be more worth more money to go with one individual rights holder. So for instance, if ESPN wants to own the entire 12-team playoff, they're going to have to pay more than Fox would pay for 50% and ESPN would pay for 50%. So let's just say for simple math purposes, all right, every game is worth $100 million. Well, for ESPN to have exclusivity, they might have to pay $110 million for the game. So it would cost them more to have exclusivity, but exclusivity is extremely valuable when it comes to something like this. All right, Greg, last question here is about scheduling. With this new partnership, do you think we could see more like big-time big time matchups between Big Ten schools, SEC schools like Penn State versus Ole Miss, you know, Ohio State versus Georgia? Do you think we could see more out-of-conference matchups like that between the Big Ten and the SEC? I think it just depends a little bit on the automatic qualifiers, how many are there. Uh, and frankly, none of us know how the 12-team playoff is going to work. Because we saw in examples last year where playing a non-conference team for Florida State did them no benefit. They still went undefeated. They beat LSU, and it did them no benefit at the end. Whereas Alabama played Texas, lost to Texas, and still was able to make up enough ground to surpass Florida State in route to a college football playoff berth. So I think it just depends. It's easy to say, well, here's an example. Here's an example. Here's an example where a team played in the non-conference and got beat, but ultimately it did them a lot of good. Here's an example of a team that played in the non-conference and won, did them no good. I think it just depends. And none of us know right now exactly how the committee is going to approach it. I happen to think it'll be a lot like basketball. Basketball, if you play a very difficult non-conference, even if you lose, your RPI is still going to be really high. So you're still going to have favorable placement in the college basketball tournament. I think that's probably how football is going to start. Now, how ultimately will it finish? I really don't know. But no, I don't envision there being some type of scheduling partnership. That's what the alliance was supposed to do. And they were going to carve out the SEC from those future schedules, it's ludicrous. Uh, every athletic director is trying to strengthen their home schedule. And if they can't strengthen their home schedule, then they're going to try to play a non-conference game in a neutral site that's going to pay them a bunch of money to come show up and to bring their show on the road to that neutral site environment. So uh, could I see more scheduling 
down the road between SEC and Big Ten? Yes, definitely. But I don't think it's going to be as a result of this new partnership that has been put together in the last couple of weeks. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. A lot of news and notes that we want to get to at some point later in the week, including Riley Leonard, including the pay raises that have been given to Clemson assistant coaches. There's a bunch of news and notes, by the way. There's a lot of movement right now in college football. Usually this is kind of a quiet time. Not the case anymore. A all-time great. His son is now the defensive coordinator At Washington, Steve Belichick is now the D.C. at Washington, reuniting with Jed Fish. So a lot of movement. We will get to that a little later in the week. But we felt like today we really need to talk about where college football is going with the partnership that's been created between the SEC and the Big Ten. So check back with us on Thursday. We'll hit all the news and notes from the week of and we'll revisit the ACC and the Big 12, tell you some playoff candidates that we're going to want to go through here a little later in the week. So for all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey, guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.